Hello, neighbor, and welcome today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there tuning in with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Revelation. I know it's going to be a blessing to you, and if it is, feel free to like it and share it with others. If you'll go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast. You can now get us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others as well. Feel free to contact us there on the website with questions and comments that you may have pertaining to the program today. Well, we're going to go on into our study now, picking it up in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4, and we hope and pray to be a blessing to you. Revelation chapter 21 tonight if you have your Bibles and would like to turn there or you can look up here on the screen behind me talking about the new heavens and the new earth Revelation 21 let's just begin at verse 1 again this week and uh, bring us up to speed Revelation 21, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. As we stated last week, the Greek word for passed away simply means to pass from one condition to another. It does not mean uh, elimination or annihilation. So it's not going to be destroyed. This world is not going to be destroyed, but it's going to be remade. It's going to be renovated by fire, according to Second Peter 3, verses 10 through 13. Now, creation as we know it, it is, is in a fallen state. Uh, it's been marred by sin. But all that's going to be purified by fire. Even the seas are going to be no more, as we looked at that as well last week. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the word heaven that is referred to here is talking about the atmosphere of the earth. There are three heavens, and we looked at that last week. You've got the heaven as it pertains to earth, the atmosphere. You have heaven as it pertains to the planetary bodies, the stars, uh, and other planets, galaxies, and whatever the case. And I was just reading something the other day. Uh, when God said, let there be light, light travels at 186,000 miles per second, I think is what it is. Don't hold me to that. But when God said, let there be light, that light is still expanding out into the universe. Now, you, you think about that. We serve an awesome God. And then we have the other heaven, which is the actual planet or the place where God dwells. Now, I know some of you raise your eyebrows a little bit when I say the planet heaven. Well, when you think about all the things that are there, there's people there. Gates are there, trees are there, rivers, horses, people, God is there, angels are there. There's no reason in the world why it could not be 
a planet. Now, we don't know exactly where that's at. Scientists have not found it yet, but it very well could be a planet. It's the place where God dwells. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, verse 2, Revelation 21 and verse 2, John said, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now this is a new city for a new earth. It's the place that the Lord has prepared, especially for you and I. And he uttered those words to his disciples. He said, I go away to prepare a place for you. And if I go away to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. When he uttered those words, it was just a matter of hours before he would go to the cross. The cross of Christ is a part of that preparation process. If it wasn't for, for the cross and what Jesus did there, there would be no place for you and I. And that is where our faith is to be in his finished work at Calvary's cross. Revelation 21 and verse 3 and I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Before the fall in the Garden of Eden, we see where God walked among the trees of the garden and had communion with Adam and Eve. Sin disrupted that fellowship with God, but immediately after that, God pointed to a Redeemer who would come into this world by the sacrifice when he killed that lamb and took the coats of skins and covered Adam and Eve. All of that typified Christ and what Christ would do at Calvary. And all throughout the Old Testament, we see God getting a little bit closer and a little bit closer to his people. When Jesus died on Calvary, our faith in that finished work is what opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to come and take up residence within our hearts and lives. And as I said last week, God wants to be with his people. When the Lord comes back at the Battle of Armageddon, the second coming, and sets up his kingdom to rule and reign for a thousand years, he is going to subdue all things under his feet. He's going to prepare the way for God the Father to come and to be in this world with his creation, which is the, the, what he's always wanted to do. And... Uh, Revelation 21 and verse 4, the Bible says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Sin is the cause of all tears. Now let me say that again. Sin is the cause of all tears. Every single human being that has ever lived has cried at one time or the other. The first noise that a baby makes once it is born, it cries. Born into a world of sin, born with a sin nature. 
But the day will come when God will wipe away all tears. Now, this phrase, God will wipe away all tears, it's not going to be the actual washing of the face. It may be, it may incorporate that, but it's talking about the things that cause the tears, sin, the things that kill, steal, and destroy. That is what God is going to wipe away. He's going to eliminate and do away with the things that causes sorrow and pain and grief. That which causes the tears, God's going to do away with all of that. Revelation 21 and verse 5. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Now this is God the Father that is speaking here. He says, I make all things new. Now this is not just the mere bringing of something new into existence. That's what we think of as being new, something brand new that's just come into existence. But what this is referring to, the very presence of God, is what is going to keep everything fresh and new. What do you think about buying a brand new car and it always stays fresh and new? It never gets dirty. It never wears out. It never gets a scratch on it. Never gets a dent in it. 15, 20 years from now, it looks exactly like it did when it rolled off the assembly line. Now, what do you think about that? That's the presence of God. That's what God can do. When he creates a new heaven and a new earth, it's always going to be in that state because his presence is here, keeping it fresh, keeping it new. All the things that kill, steal, and destroy is going to be completely eliminated and done away with at that time. Now, you just think about that. Glory to God. He said, I make all things new. Then he said to John, write. Now, let's stop right there and look at that for a minute. He told John to write it down. He told John to write it down because he wants us to read it. Now, I know not everybody can read, but they can hear it. And we live in a modern age where everybody can receive this of which I'm saying. He said to John, write Write it down. It's for us. He wants us to know about it. It's the Word of God. For these words are true and faithful. It's true exactly as the Lord describes it, and it's faithful because it is going to come to pass. And in Revelation 21 and verse 6, He said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God spoke these words to John almost 2,000 years ago. He knows the end from the beginning, and it is done. That phrase, it is done, falls right in line with what Jesus said when he died on the cross. It is finished. You see the connection there. 
Again, what Jesus did at Calvary's cross is what has made all of this possible. He said, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. That's about midway of verse 6 there, Revelation 21, verse 6. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. The promise given here is not only for that perfect age which is to come, but it's for now. It's for us. Haven, if you will, go to John 7, verse 37. John seven thirty seven. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. There you go, that water of life. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit of God is that water of life that is referred to here in Revelation 21 and verse 6. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life, freely. Jesus paid the price and we freely receive. We don't earn it. There's nothing we can do to obtain it. We just open up our hands by faith and receive it. The fountain is the cross of Christ. The Holy Spirit is made possible to us through and by what Jesus did at Calvary. He that believeth on me Jesus said. All right, Revelation 21 and verse 7. Revelation 21 and verse 7. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. This is the same message that Jesus spoke to all seven of the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. He said it to all seven churches. Now he's saying this again. He that overcometh. And I think the scripture is clear. Only overcomers will get to enjoy all the things that God has prepared. And I'm going to ask you a question tonight. Are you an overcomer. Are you an overcomer? I got saved when I was 12 years old. As things went on in my teenage years, I backslid from the Lord. I was in my mid-twenties before I came back to the Lord. 1997, I rededicated my life to the Lord. And those years of being backslid, took up with the wrong crowd, developed 
a taste for music that shouldn't have been, took up smoking. When I came back to the Lord and rededicated my life, some of those things the Lord took away, but I still had a problem with cigarettes. And I remember, after coming back to the Lord a couple of years, still having that problem with the cigarettes. And I would read these scriptures here in Revelation to the overcomer. To the overcomer. Our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, and we should do what we can to take care of these bodies. If we know that something is harming our bodies, we don't need to do it. Uh, it's sin. And uh, that thing really bothered me, but I was addicted to those cigarettes. And I remember during a period of time there teaching Sunday school and going to church over at Watson's Grove in Haven. She had been born at that time. I guess she was maybe two years old. And she was sitting there in the truck as I was driving to church, and I'd fire up that cigarette going over to church, and every time I'd pull that finger up to my lips, she was looking at it. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to help me with this thing. So I went for the chewing gum. The, they've got chewing gum, and they got different patches and all this kind of stuff now. I tried all of that. didn't work. Tried to quit cold turkey, didn't work. Had a bad day on the job. Got in my truck at lunchtime. Went down the road, got me a hot dog and a drink. And drove out to a little creek there in Wilson. And just sit there for a little bit. Eat my hot dog. I lit that cigarette. And I prayed to the Lord, and I said, Lord, you're, you're going to have to help me with this. I can't stop. I can't quit. I want to be an overcomer, but I'm not. This thing is overcoming me, not me overcoming it. And I said, Lord, if I'm going to be an overcomer, it's going to be all of you. And none of me. Because I just don't have it in me. The will was present with me. But how to do it. I didn't know. Just exactly as the apostle Paul said. And I prayed to the Lord. Holding that cigarette in my hand. The next day. When I woke up that morning. I had come down overnight with a head cold. This thing was bad. I, mean, I think it's about one of the worst sinus infections, head colds I've ever had. And I couldn't hardly breathe. Got in the truck going to work that morning. I lit that cigarette up and, that, and I, I, it, like, it like stifled me to death. This went on for several days, several weeks. I couldn't stand the cigarette. And when the cold finally run its course after a couple of weeks, and I started getting my 
taste back and my smell back, my hearing back. I mean, even my hearing was affected. How many of you have ever had a cold like that? I remember those cigarettes were in the glove compartment of my truck. I reached over there to grab those things, and I said, you know, I have been almost three weeks now without a cigarette. And I said, Lord, if this is your way of delivering me, I accept it. And I ain't had a cigarette since. I've not had a desire for a cigarette. But I knew that in order to be what God wanted me to be, the cigarettes was going to have to go. But I couldn't overcome that thing within myself. The moment I said, Lord, it's not in me, it's in you. It's going to have to be all of you and none of me. The Lord began to work right then. Now, I had some other problems and things going on in my life. People that I worked with were having a tremendous influence on me, bad influence. Lord, you've got to do something here. I've got to work with these people. It ain't like, you know... I. I you, you rub shoulders with them every day. You can't ignore them. You can't get away from them. Lord, you, you've got to do something here. And it won't a week later, I got a phone call from another company. And they said, James, will you come work for us? And made me an offer I couldn't refuse. So I went to work with that company around another group of people, brand new people. One of those people was a brother in Christ which encouraged me and helped me along the way. And, and my point is simply this. We can't do it within and of ourselves. But the Holy Spirit in us can do it if we'll listen to Him. And Haven, if you will, put it up on the screen. Romans eight thirteen. Romans 8, verse 13. The Bible says, For if you live, for if you live. The Apostle Paul is speaking to believers here. He's not speaking to the world out here, the ungodly, the unsaved. He's talking to believers. He said, if you live. He's talking about if you Live for God. If you're trying to live for God after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh. If you're trying to live for God by the ways and the means of the flesh. Talking about your own ability, strength, willpower, education, talent. I could go on and on with that. Those things which are indicative of a human being, which is not wrong within itself, but you can't live for God that way. It won't work. Paul said, if you do it, you shall die. Look at that. You shall die. There's going to be constant acts of sin and failure in your life if you try to live for God by the ways and the means of the flesh. If you could do it within yourself, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go and die on a cross, then would he? 
But there's going to be failure there, and, and, and sin weakens your faith. It erodes your faith. And you get so discouraged trying to live for God by that way, and one failure after another, you just get so discouraged and fed up that after a while you just quit. I can't, I can't live it. I can't get up here to this standard that I think I'm supposed to be, and you just quit. And let me tell you, when you quit, the lake of fire is in your future. You shall die. When, the Paul, when Paul used that phrase, and he's speaking to believers, he's talking about the second death. You're going to lose your way. He said, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit... Notice what he said. If you will, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. The Holy Spirit is what is in our hearts and lives to help us. He'll point out the things that don't need to be. He'll point out and show us what to do and what not to do. He'll give us the power the Holy Spirit will. He will give us the power to mortify or to kill, to do away with the deeds of the body, those things which are sinful, those things which ought not to be. Haven't you noticed it, that once you got saved, you lost the desire for certain things? Used to, you didn't like reading the Bible. I've even heard the testimony of some in this church that in the past year or so, the Lord has changed their taste in music. The Lord has changed certain desires in their heart. God has done that. God has done that. They've tried for years to quit doing certain things, and, and, and they've just come to the place that they realize it's simple faith in Christ and what he did at the cross, and the Holy Spirit moves, and, and they allow the Holy Spirit to move and work. And, and you can see the change that is, that is taking place uh, within their hearts and lives. He said, but if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. If you'll listen to the voice of the Spirit and do what He says, you shall live. Now, that don't mean that you're not going to have another failure because we're still in these bodies. But like I've said before, and I'll say again, and someone also told me this too, said, Brother James, that has really stuck with me. If you don't quit... God won't quit. Faith is what gets you in. Faith is what keeps you in. When you fail, when you sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll do it if we don't allow that thing uh, to continue. In our lives, when we, when we fail the Lord and we ask Him to forgive us, turn from that thing. And like I said, sometimes these things, they keep reoccurring. But keep your faith anchored there 
in the cross of Christ and keep following the leading of the Spirit, sooner or later, you're going to have victory over that thing. As long as your faith is in Christ, you're an overcomer. You're an overcomer. You're in Christ. Your salvation is not based on what you do. Your salvation is based on what you believe. Now, if you're believing right, then it's going to show in your actions. Let me say that again. If you're believing right, then it's going to show in your actions. He went on to say, for as many, verse 14, Romans 8, verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. It goes right back to Revelation 21 and verse 7, where God said, He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. An heir inherits that which is from the Father. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, and that we may be also glorified together. All right, Revelation 21, verse 8. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving... And the abominable, and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. All of this that we've just read falls in two categories. The first one is fearful and unbelieving. The fearful and unbelieving. The fearful and unbelieving falls in the same category because fear is a lack of faith. Fear is a lack of faith. There are many in the church today, their salvation is a works salvation. I remember back about four or five years ago now, sitting there in the control room at WLLY. I opened up the program for a particular minister that came in, and he was a holiness brother. And I don't have anything against the holiness people. I love them. But this dear brother, his whole outlook, was on doing this and doing that and not doing the other. And I remember sitting there in the control room looking through the window as he was ministering that day. 
And he looked at the microphone, and I could look at his face, and I could see the fear on his face when he uttered these words. He said, I hope that when I stand before God one day, that I have done enough, and that the Lord will say, enter in, good and faithful servant, enter in to the joy of the Lord. Now, didn't that brother believe in Christ and what he did at the cross? Yes, I believe that he did. But all the other stuff that he was doing and not doing is what overrided and made the work of Christ as none effect. Haven, if you will, go to Romans 4 in verse 14. Romans 4, verse 14. For they which are of the law be heirs. He's talking about those who are trying to live for God by the means of law, law law-keeping. Whether it be the law of Moses or the laws they've made up in their own mind or the laws of their church or the laws of their denomination. If you're trying to justify yourself, sanctify yourself by the doing of these things, he said, faith is made void. Although their faith is in Christ, that faith has been made void, and he said, and the promise made of none effect. The promise of salvation is of none effect because their faith is in doing rather than simple faith in Christ. Paul had this problem with the people at Galatia when certain ones from Jerusalem, certain Jews came in. Paul preached the Lord dying on the cross to such an extent of where it's almost as if they saw him die right before their very eyes. But when Paul moved on to other things, certain Jews came in from Jerusalem And they started saying, you know, that's good. Your your faith is in Christ and, and what he's done, that's good. But you've got to keep certain Sabbath days. And the little boy babies have got to be circumcised. And they started bringing the law in to you living for God. And Paul said, if you do these things, then Christ has become of none effect unto you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 4, Haven, if you will. Galatians 5 and verse 4. Christ is become of none effect unto you, whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. Fallen from grace is not so much committing some sin out here. That's not falling from grace. When you quit believing... That's when you've fallen from grace. When you quit believing or you allow your faith to shift to something else. And that's where a lot of people are at today. Their faith is in the doing of certain things or the not doing of certain other things. The other category spoken of in Revelation 21 and verse 8 deals with the abominable, the murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, and liars. I'm not going to take the time to go in and define all of this. I think most of this is obvious. But I will say this. 
All of these things are a product of an active sin nature. They are the works of the flesh, and they are made manifest. Only faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which opens up the door for the Holy Spirit to come inside, can bind up the sin nature, which is causing these acts of sin. Now, I'm going to deal with something now. You've got a lot of people in church today who say they believe in Christ and what He did, but their lives don't show it. That is because they have a mental assent. They believe it as a historical fact. They've got a mental aspect of it. They've not allowed it to drop down into their heart and into their spirit and change them into what they ought to be. You understand what I'm saying? People are going to miss heaven by about 16 inches. They've got a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart knowledge. Because this gospel of Jesus Christ changes people. Do you hear me? When somebody says that they believe it and there's no change in their life, something's wrong. They're believing another gospel or either they just got a mental assent to something. They've not allowed the Holy Spirit that comes through the power of the gospel to change them. But this gospel changes people. You've got another group of people in the church today that believe in once saved, always saved. I got saved when I was a little kid. No matter what I do, I can't lose my salvation. God will never take my name out of the book of life. I can just live any old way. Ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. The gospel changes people. And there's going to constantly be a change. I thank God tonight that I have changed from where I used to be. But I'm going to be honest with you. There's still a whole lot more here that needs to change. And only the Holy Spirit of God can do it. As He points out things and as we follow His leading and guidance. But if people are believing a gospel, and Paul talked about another gospel fostered by another spirit, if it's not the Holy Spirit, then it's a demon spirit. The Bible speaks of the latter days, uh, doctrines of devils being proclaimed, many falling away from the faith. People that do not have a change in their lives. They're going to have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone. That is the second death. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.